Welcome, everyone, to this new ECDPM podcast series. I'm Caterina Farinha, and I'll be your host today. In this podcast series, we're zooming in on COP27, the upcoming United Nations Climate Change Conference in Egypt in November. Throughout 2022, heat waves, floods, droughts, and wildfires all over the world have shown that the climate crisis affects us all, and its effects are being felt much faster than anticipated, although not equally. The most vulnerable populations to the climate crisis are also the ones least responsible for it. And there are growing calls for wealthier countries, responsible for the majority of carbon emissions, to increase their contribution to adaptation efforts, both at home and abroad. It's in this context of geopolitical uncertainty, but with a greater push for climate action, that COP27 takes place. That is why we are bringing you a number of conversations between ECDPM and knowledgeable guests that will share with us what has been happening in some of COP27's key discussion areas, such as food, peace and security, energy, water, or crucially, the financing of all these efforts. In this first episode, we want to give you a more panoramic view of COP27 and some of the political nuances involved in what is arguably the most visible global climate event of the year. To do that, I'm talking to Anne Knappen, the head of our Climate Action and Green Transition team here at ECDPM. Hi, Anne. Welcome. Hi, Kata. Happy to talk to you. <laughs> so we are in the run-up to COP27 when we're recording this. It is organized in Sharm el-Sheikh in Egypt. And this will be the first COP taking place in an African country in quite a long time. Could you tell us what the big topics are in terms of what is going to be dominating the, the agenda? Well, um, you said it right, Kata. Uh, the COP is being held in an African country in Egypt. So it's really claimed to be the African COP. And this has been years. Last time, a COP22 was organized in Marrakech, in Morocco, in 2016. And then years before that, in 2011, there was the COP17 organized in Durban, in South Africa. Now, this time, the COP is really being promoted as the adaptation. COP. And that's what uh, the Egyptian presidency wants to focus on. There will also be a strong focus on food and energy, of course, two of the main sectors of concern, together also with water. There will be a strong focus on water. Now, aside of that, there will be four big themes. So this will be adaptation, as I already said, together with access to finance and especially access to adaptation finance but they will also discuss new forms of finance such as debt swaps that will be high on the agenda of course they will talk about mitigation so carbon emission reductions how much to reduce to stay below the 1.5 degree celsius targets and there will also be a discussion on uh, finance for loss and damage very important Mm. I also hear that there are going to be some thematic days throughout the, the conference. Were there any that caught your eye? Yeah. So um, every almost every day uh, during the COP, we'll have a different focus. So there will be a finance day. There will be a water day, an adaptation day. So these, as I already said, are important themes. But there will also be a youth day, a biodiversity day, an agenda day. And I think it's very important to have these, because a topic like gender has 
been neglected, I think, for many years during the climate negotiations. But we know that women are disproportionately affected by climate impacts. But at the same time, they play a key role in building resilience against climate effects. I mean, we see that in times of disaster, women often don't have access to grants, to loans, to finance in general, to build resilience against these impacts. So it's very important to discuss the role of women within uh, the climate context. Gender has definitely been uh, the, the underdog when it comes to uh, to the climate talks in, in recent years. And that's actually why one of the, the episodes that were organizing in this in this series is actually with Salma Kadri, a researcher at the Cairo International Center for Conflict Resolution, Peacekeeping and, and Peacebuilding, where she lays out how uh, gender, peace and, and climate uh, are actually all interconnected. So for the people at home, you can uh, you can look forward to that episode in, uh, in a few weeks. Now, I also wanted to ask you, because you've been in contact with the Egyptian ambassador here in Brussels, what are their expectations for COP27 as the organizing country? So I met with the Egyptian ambassador here in Brussels, H.E. Dr. Badr Abdelati, and he underlined that the Egyptian presidency will really push for an African agenda with a very strong focus on water together with food and energy. So there will be a strong focus on this nexus, the water, energy, food nexus. Um, and I think what was interesting is that he said there will also be special attention on climate security or the link between climate and conflicts, what we see already uh, happening in the Sahel and in the Horn of Africa. Um, Egypt is also organizing this Aswa Forum, which is um, a, a big international conference on sustainable peace and development. They will also organize an event during COP27. Um, so I think it's it's really important that they are, are pushing for more understanding of the links between climate and conflict, but also an understanding in how to respond to climate insecurity. Um, Egypt, that's what I understood, will also present 12 initiatives, mostly for African countries. So there will be an initiative on agriculture, on water, on the 50 by 2050 initiative that uh, will look at recycling solid waste. There will be an initiative on decent life in Africa and so forth. The ambassador really voiced a concern about adaptation finance and especially the, the famous or infamous um, adaptation finance gap. So there is, there is a concern that industrialized countries have always put much more finance into mitigation, into renewable energy projects, into carbon uh, reduction, carbon emission reduction, but less in adaptation support. So that is an issue that the Egyptian presidency will really bring to the top of the agenda. They will also be pushing, as he told me, for the 1.5 degrees Celsius targets, as well as loss and damage, and, and discussing whether um, a facility could perhaps be set up to channel finance for loss and damage. So can you tell our listeners what the African and European positions on climate are and whether there's actually some common ground between the between the two? What we see is that in recent years, Africa or the African continent has come forward with a stronger common and more cohesive position on its needs and priorities. We see that the tone of Africa in asking what they expect and also what they can do has become louder. 
Um, and it's all based on the principle of climate justice and common but differentiated responsibilities. Now, I haven't seen the final African negotiators group's position on COP27 yet, but gathering from interviews, they will probably put forward about 10 specific thematic issues faced by the continent. And um, what will be really high on the agenda is the need to close the climate adaptation finance gap with a special request to double adaptation finance by 2025. Um, they will also want to scale up Africa's own mitigation ambition and implementation. We know that the African continent as a whole is responsible for less than 4% of global emissions, but still it's important for them also to work towards their own green transition and uh, renewable energy investments. Uh, they will also want to discuss loss and damage, obviously. And what is interesting is that they will focus also on the role of women. So gender will be high on the agenda, um, gender inclusion in climate action, as well as agriculture. Very recently, the EU position was also was released. Um, so their uh, position towards COP27, the EU has four agenda points. And I think what's interesting that they also want to focus strongly on gender, the role of women, as well as agriculture. Um, I had a closer look at the position and the EU is focusing together with the member states on adaptation finance. I must say that the EU together with the member states uh, contributes the largest amount of climate finance, uh, including adaptation finance. So that's really good, but still the gap is huge. And I believe that currently only one fifth of adaptation needs in Africa are being covered by public finance. That's also why you see that um, in the in the EU position, but also in the Council conclusions on climate finance, there is this really strong focus on working more with multilateral development banks, with development finance institutes and with public development banks. So really involving the banks and the private sector, making them also invest in adaptation. But adaptation is mostly needed in the agricultural sector in Africa. More than 60% of people are involved in agriculture in the African continent. Um, at the same time, these people work in extremely informal settings. So for the private sector to invest in adaptation, in resilience building in these settings will be very difficult. Um, that is why um, there is a need for the public sector, so EU institutions to de-risk these investments. And there are several mechanisms for this, such as blending mechanisms. So a lot of uh, thinking is going on on innovative financing. Still, I personally doubt that with private sector finance, we will be able to close the adaptation gap. I'm afraid that at the end of the day, very little of this adaptation finance from private sector, from banks will actually go to farmers and, and micro, small, medium-sized enterprises in the rural areas in Africa who would need it the most. Still for adaptation, you mainly need grants, not loans. That's the reality. Then another point that features in, in both the African position, but also the EU position is loss and damage. The EU remains quite vague about loss and damage. They put it as discuss arrangements for funding for loss and damage. Um, so that's not really concrete. They don't say anything about setting up a facility or how to, through which channels to fund this. And this may be, again, a big point of discussion. Uh, at COP26, we saw already there was a lot of disagreement between 
um, European parties, but also least developed countries, including African countries on this. That was really an unresolved issue. And I doubt that it will be resolved this time. All of these are very technical, but also, you know, political discussions revolving often around the principle of climate justice. And I think that it's difficult for European and, and, and African agendas to meet in general. And this is a sign of a much wider diplomatic gap between Europe and Africa that will need to be addressed. I want to pick up on that point that you just made about this diplomatic gap. When it comes to COP, there are always big statements, big promises, and so far, the richest countries in particular have really fallen short of the promises that they kept making throughout the years. Could you tell me where the expectations for COP27 are right now? Is there maybe a layer of cynicism in relation to what COP can truly accomplish? Or do you still see some, uh, some optimism? Yeah, I think it is true that not so much has been achieved because there have been about 30 decades of COPs, eh, of these climate negotiations, mm. but at the same time we see that carbon emissions have been increasing. So this is, of course, a source for cynicism, rightfully so. Nevertheless, I think it's very important to have these global negotiations, to have a Paris Agreement. Um, it, of course, within this context, what is a problematic is that there is no punishment system if you don't follow through, if you keep on um, emitting, if if you don't um, come through the or, or if you don't meet the climate finance commitments, let's say. So there is no such system. There is no green global green court or anything. <laughs> so um, still, I think we should be optimistic. Um, so there was a pre-COP27 organized in October in uh, Kinshasa, in, in Congo. And um, I was listening to an interview with the Dutch climate envoy who went there, um, a radio interview. And he said that um, this was so the last moment um, to, come to, to build consensus um, with a group of more than 60 climate ministers and climate envoys from all over the world. Um, they discussed the big topics that I mentioned at the beginning of, of our, our discussion here. Uh, and um, talks were set to be constructive. People left with a positive feeling. Of course, they could not take any big uh, technical or political decisions there. But I think it was it was an important step towards towards the COP. Um, and, and let's hope that, that this discussion and all the other work that has been done by the Egyptian presidency and so many others, um, let's hope that this will translate into a positive outcome on, on the next COP that will really be about an implementation of the Paris Agreement. I think we cannot expect a big, big breakthrough uh, because there are so many issues at stake. And, and of course, we are finding ourselves in times of crisis, crisis in multilateralism, we have the food and especially in the context of COP27, the energy crisis and uh, there are geopolitical um, tensions between a number of countries and blocks in the world that are that are really proving to be a challenge. So this may disrupt a really strong breakthrough at, at the COP, but um, let's keep um, up our hopes. <laughs> Thank you, Anne, for this uh, sobering bird-eyes view of COP27 and some of the issues at hand. 
And for you at home, thank you for listening to this first episode of our podcast series focusing on COP27. Next time, you'll hear a conversation between Kunde Kaiser, a policy officer here at ECDPM, and Dr. Nalishi Bumelebo, the director of RENAPRI, a pan-African network of agricultural policy research institutes. So you can look forward to a conversation about the state of climate action in African food systems. Here's a sneak peek. Like most African governments, I've said, um, I want to see an increased funding and investment, particularly for uh, agriculture, and especially focused on adaptation and all that has to do with adaptation. Um, I want to see more funding going into um, evidence, data, analytics, monitoring and evaluation, and regular reporting uh, by governments. Thank you again, Anne, for joining me today. And thank you at home for listening. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye.